Welcome to this week's MK News podcast, recorded piecemeal on October 17th and 19th, 2018. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut. Today we're going to do something different. I will be previewing an NK Pro subscribers-only product, the weekly Foreign Media Monitor, a selection of translated news, analysis, and opinion from Chinese, Japanese, South Korean, and Russian media. This selection is then curated into an easily digestible email sent to NK Pro subscribers every Thursday. In this episode, I'll be talking to three of the curators of the Foreign Media Monitor to give you a taste of what's coming up in this week's package. But before we get to the interviews, I want to talk to you all about the new NK Shop. NK News Annual Shop is back in business for the holiday season. It's all online, and Chad and the team have really stepped up their game this year and have extremely limited edition retro t-shirts, 2019 calendars, postcards, and my personal favorite, the Andy Warhol-inspired North Korea canned goods posters and vintage DPRK travel posters. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their entire purchase purchase that is by using the code nkpodcast10 that's nkpodcast10 one word at the checkout just go to nkshop.org to see what's in stock this year they'd make really great gifts for any north korea watcher okay now let's get to the interviews my very first interview with a foreign media monitor is with john petrushka based in the east of the united states of america are you there john i am it's great to be here thanks for being online and being available what time is it there where you are uh, it's about 5.15 a.m., but uh, one of the best times of the day, in my opinion. Are you normally up at this hour? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay, well, thanks for being up today. Uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Who are you and how did you end up doing this work? Sure. So I moved to Washington, D.C. about eight years ago when I started college here, and I've studied international affairs, Asia, business, and the Chinese language in college, and then later on in grad school. And I've always had an interest in both North and South Korea, despite the fact that I studied Chinese. And <clears throat> when this opportunity came to me about three, three and a half years ago through one of my professors at Georgetown, I decided that it seemed interesting because it was the perfect opportunity really to do both, to look at what was going on in North Korea through the lens of China, which I had studied, uh, both to keep up with what was going on uh, in North Korea, to see some of the trends in the relationship between China and North Korea, and also to keep up my Chinese language skills. That's certainly an excellent way of killing a number of birds with one stone, isn't it? It certainly is. Now, I have here in front of me the uh, your contribution to this week's Media Monitor, and uh, I thought we'd talk about a couple of the stories uh, from there. You've got five for this week. Uh, we'll see how we go in the time allotted to us. Uh, let's start with the representatives of uh, Kim Il-sung University, which is probably familiar to all NK News listeners and NK News podcast listeners, but uh, the Hunan Normal University, which uh, we might not all be familiar with. Uh, in fact, I first misread it as the Human Normal University. Complete mistake there. Anyway, so they had a, a meeting this week between reps of those two universities. What's going on there? Yes, essentially the two held a bilateral academic conference, and this is a trend that we're seeing more and more with Chinese universities and Kim Il-sung University, uh, especially in the last six months since the improvement of relations between North Korea and China. Essentially, academics from both universities got together at Hunan Normal University, which is in Hunan province in central China, and they held a conference that was really focused on best practices in higher education. But of course, a lot of the focus at the conference was on North Korea and on Kim Il-sung University. I believe it was uh, one of the deans of uh, Kim Il-sung University or one of the departments 
department heads was there and talked about the fact that Hunan Normal University, I mean, uh, Kim Il-sung University was the only university in North Korea to have relationships with universities in central China, as well as all over China. Uh, do you know if uh, internet connections were discussed uh, as part of uh, you know, modern educational methods? Uh, they did talk a bit about uh, online learning and topics of that nature. Uh, internet connections specifically, I don't believe were discussed. Uh, it's a, a bit of a topic that tends to get avoided, I believe, both in North Korean and Chinese media. Well, let's talk about the Pope and the Holy See. Uh, there's some interest in uh, North Korea in following China's footsteps. Uh, this is this article really is more uh, speculation on the part of actually folks who write in Chinese but are outside China on what North Korea's future is going to be. What they're seeing essentially is the fact that China has cultivated over uh, the past few years, uh, both China and the Vatican have improved their relationship. And uh, the authors of this piece are speculating that North Korea wants to improve its image around the world by following in the footsteps of China and trying to cultivate a better relationship with the Vatican as well. And so there was some discussion about the recent invitation of the Pope to visit North Korea in that article. And that's essentially what that speculation is about there. Yes, that was uh, delivered verbally by Kim Jong-un to Moon, Jong -in, uh, Moon, yeah, Moon Jae-in during their last uh, summit together, wasn't it? That's correct. So, But we haven't yet heard anything uh, from the Vatican yet uh, about whether the Pope will be going. That's correct. And the article itself, when it talked about uh, the possibility of the Pope uh, improving that relationship with North Korea, it, most of it focused on sort of the history of engagement between uh, North Korea or, you know, uh, prior to North Korea, Korea as a whole, uh, and both the Vatican and other religious institutions throughout the world. It wasn't as, uh, quite as relevant to what was going on today as it was more of a historical overview, but uh, there was a uh, certainly a lot of good points made in that article and something that oftentimes gets forgotten when examining North Korea and the history of North Korea is that Pyongyang used to be, I guess, the capital, so to speak, of religious engagement between Korea and the world a hundred years ago or just uh, just less than 100 years ago, there were dozens of churches in Pyongyang. So it's interesting to see that uh, potentially coming full circle. Yes, I believe the late uh, Billy Graham's wife was either born and or educated in uh, Pyongyang. I do recall hearing that. So it was uh, Pyongyang was once referred to uh, as uh, the Jerusalem of the East by uh, Christian missionaries. I think it's a long way from that now, but uh, perhaps that'll change. Indeed. Now, I understand that the uh, Tumen River Forum was hosted uh, by Yanbian University uh, just in the last week. What's that all about? Yes, the Tumen River Forum has been hosted for uh, 10 years now uh, on an annual basis, but this year it's uh, drawn more attention. What China is really hoping to do as part of its improved relationship with North Korea and North Korea's interest in engaging with the world and potentially opening its economy is that China is really looking to make that uh, both North Korea and the Korean Peninsula a centerpiece along with Northeast China of its plan to reinforce invigorate all of Northeast Asia. So the conference this year had a lot of focus both on what is going on in North and South Korea, 
a lot of discussion by North Korean academics about uh, the positive impact of the three meetings between uh, Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping, which is a common refrain in North Korean statements to Chinese media, as well as the summit meeting in June between President Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. And as a result of that, they're looking at these uh, Chinese as well as Japanese, North Korean, South Korean, Russian academics were discussing ways that the region as a whole, all of Northeast Asia, might be reinvigorated as a result of these new openings in North Korea. Uh, the Chinese organizers of this conference did uh, really play up uh, some of the changes that are underway, you know, referring to them as the opportunity of a lifetime and kind of the eve of the golden age of economic cooperation in Northeast Asia. Of course, there's a lot that still remains to be seen uh, both from both sides of the Yalu River, but also between North and South Korea as to what form that might take. But for the past several months, China really has been hitting that refrain hard. They're hoping that North Korea will open its economy uh, both to bring it more in line with the international community and, of course, to benefit both China and North Korea from a trade perspective, but also to generate an economic boost to Northeast China and Northeast Asia. It's a region of China that has, uh, in recent years, lagged a bit behind uh, some of the faster growth in other parts of the country. And uh, finally, our last story for today, let's talk about the uh, uh, the border city of Dandong. Uh, you've got something from a, a Singapore TV uh, program about how sanctions have affected that border city. That's correct. And this is something that uh, sometimes does happen within Chinese media. Uh, occasionally, there is a bit of a dearth of coverage in the mainland because the nature of the media landscape there is that it is controlled and there is some sensitivity to too much getting out about North Korea. So occasionally I'll find something interesting from Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong, or even elsewhere because uh, the Chinese language is used in each of those places. And the program uh, that was aired last week on this uh, Singapore uh, news channel uh, was a program called Focal Point. And they essentially went through the city of Dandong and looked at some of the different uh, trends underway there with uh, North Korean North Korean merchants as well as businesses that uh, have North Koreans employed. And a lot of the information that was coming out of that uh, is similar to what we've seen in the past, a lot of reporting from places like Taiwan about Dandong, uh, seeing the engagement between uh, North Korea and that border city of Dandong, how that changes over time. But some of it was new. A couple of interesting notes. One of the uh, individuals interviewed as part of the program was a professor at Beijing University named Jin Dongji. It could be a Chinese of Korean descent, so that name, he may actually have a Korean name. But this professor explained that there is high demand for uh, North Korean laborers in Dandong because the quality of their work is very high and their wages are uh, comparatively low uh, when lined up next to uh, their Chinese counterparts. There was a lot of talk about that, why it is that there is demand for these laborers in North Korea. The professor uh, noted that the trade relationship between China and North Korea has for a long time been open for 70 years, ever since the most recent sanctions. That open trade relationship has been curtailed, but there is still trade and economic engagement that takes place in private settings, such as when North Koreans go to work for Chinese companies and then repatriate uh, some of their earnings 
Philippines uh, as a source of foreign currency for the North Korean government. There were also uh, a few other interesting notes that came from that uh, expose. Uh, there was a Chinese business person who often works with North Korea who was interviewed there. Um, face was blurred out, and I, I, I imagine that the name that they gave was a pseudonym, but this person talked about the fact that the most recent round of sanctions, particularly from the U.S., <clears throat> had had quite an impact in North Korea. And this person who worked in both trade with North Korea as well as tourism noted that a lot of staples in North Korea that were initially sold from China could not even be brought to market. And these were simple things such as chopsticks and one-time used spoons. As a result of the U.S. and other sanctions, I guess that Chinese traders were not able to bring these items to market. So, the so it's like impact, their trucks are being turned back at the bridge or something. Uh, there are still uh, trucks that are traveling from one end to the other, but I believe that the number of goods that can be traded in North Korea has been uh, decreased significantly. And I imagine that they didn't talk as much about you know some of the nuts and bolts behind this, but I imagine that both logistically and from a customs perspective, Chinese and North Korean traders who work in that border city are having a more difficult time getting certain goods across that border as a result of the sanctions. Yes, uh, Dandong is always an interesting window into North Korea, and we hope that uh, that, that program uh, from Singapore and other ones continue to go there every few months to sort of keep, keep us an update, uh, sorry, give us an update on how things are developing there. Absolutely. And of course, uh, one aspect to note about this program, and they made sure to mention this uh, during it, was when they interviewed they interviewed several uh, North Korean performers at a restaurant there who did dance performances, and they did note that they were not able to speak with any of them in private. They did get some information from them, but they were not able to speak with any of them in private, which is par for the course, uh, both with North Korean laborers as well as in that part of China. Yeah, that suggests that there's always uh, a monitor around there somewhere to uh, to keep keep an eye on everybody. Absolutely. All right. Well, John, thank you very much for giving us a uh, a look into this week's foreign media monitor of the Chinese language press. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next time. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. And now the second of our curators of the foreign media monitor, Kosuke Takahashi, joining us from Japan. Hello, Kosuke. Can you hear me? Crystal clear. Thank I you for joining you. us. Uh, can you please introduce yourself and tell us how you came to be doing this work for NK Pro? Uh, actually, I joined NK News almost at the beginning of the establishment of the NK News. Yes, Chad, Chad invited me to write, in, write for uh, NK News. At that time, I was uh, keep writing for Asia Times and Chad read my Asia Times article a lot, so I joined NK News. And then now I was asked to do this translation job. <laughs> and each week you choose some of the most interesting and important stories and opinion pieces from Japanese language media about North Korea. So I thought uh, uh, we would talk about some of the stories that you've prepared for this week's uh, Foreign Media Monitor. I understand that uh, Japan would like to set up a liaison office in Pyongyang. Can you tell us about that? Yes, you know, the only Japanese government hasn't started direct talk with the North Korea, right? South Korea, US, China, Russia, almost every country uh, started to talk with the Pyongyang. But Japanese government, you know, 
hasn't studied yet. The Sroni issue is the abduction issue. Prime Minister Abe, he has a dilemma, strong dilemma, because he has been always getting the, his popularity by taking a hardline stance against Pyongyang, by, by stressing the abduction is, issue. But North Korea said abduction issue is already settled, no room to talk with Japan. Right? But the Japanese government has to do something, has to find uh, some way to, to start the talking with the North Korea. So this office is one, one step. But uh, Pyongyang seems like uh, refusing to establish a liaison office in Pyongyang. Ah, so Pyongyang is not interested. Not interested. As long as, as, long as Abe says, uh, let's uh, solve the abduction issue. Does the existence of the Chosen Soren headquarters in Tokyo, or as we call it in Korea, the Jochongyun, uh, does that act, or could that act as a kind of de facto liaison office between the governments of North Korea and Japan? Currently, no. Japanese government has so much op- oppressed Chosen Soren yeah. for, for several years, so... Chosen Soren hates Japanese government. Really bad relations now. And and also, uh, Chosen Soren power is weakening in recent recent years. You know, uh, North Korean resident in Japan, they are becoming uh, Japanese. They are becoming South Korean nationalities. They are you know away away becoming away from the North Korea actually. Okay. Now also this week, uh, Prime Minister Abe left Japan for a European tour, and one of the purposes of this tour is to establish close policy coordination over North Korean issues. He seems to be following on the uh, footsteps or following on the heels of South Korea's President Moon Jae-in, who's doing the same thing this week. Yes, yes, yes. Abe cannot start direct talk with Pyongyang, right? So only the only thing he can do is, you know, kind of the international coordination. So he is now asking for European leaders to solve the abduction issue as well as the North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. That's the only way for him. Uh, it's a kind of the engagement policy against Pyongyang by Japan relating to the international community. Kind of an indirect engagement via proxy. Yes, yes, yes. Do you think he has much chance of success using European nations? Uh, I don't think so. As long as Abe's stance is to solve the abduction at first. When Abe say, uh, let's solve the abduction issue, Pyongyang in return say, no, no, let's, you know, let's settle the unfortunate past by by caused by Japan. So colonization <laughs> and World War yes, II, yes, et cetera, yes. et cetera, yeah. That's the Pyongyang's countermeasure against Japan. Not not easy to start talks with each other. Now, I'd like to uh, talk about a couple of pieces of opinion and analysis. Uh, you've got a piece from the Toyo Keizai online uh, by uh, Professor Katsuyaki Yakushiji talking about the reason why North Korea is sticking to an end of war declaration. Can you tell us about that, please? You know, everybody knows Pyongyang stick to the, the end of war declaration, right? This Yakushi professor says the reason why Pyongyang stick to declaration is that's a very first step towards the confidence building between the U.S. and North Korea. That's one reason. Another reason is Kim May needs the end of war declaration to control hardliners in Pyongyang to achieve the denuclearization. You know, see, Kim needs something 
some persuasive material to get hardliner in Pyongyang under control. So Professor Yakushiji says that uh, there's, the reason behind it is some kind of domestic politics. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, you also uh, summarized another uh, opinion piece this week from Diamond Online, uh, mm -hmm. in which a, a former Chosen Soren or Jo Chongyun uh, member is uh, explaining the reasons why he believes Kim Jong-un wants to denuclearize by 2021. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yes, uh, this article was very interesting, written by, you know, former Cho Son Ren member, right? He said Kim needs to hold the 8th Congress of the Workers' Party of Korea by uh, 2021 to review the uh, result of Kim Jong's five-year plan, uh, which was aimed to boost economic plan, right? Economic growth. So to, uh, 2021 is the end of the five-year plan, and then he have to do some, he have to achieve something. That's a nuclearization, denuclearization, you know. So, um, and then uh, as for the U.S., 2021 is, of course, uh, important, right? That's the end of the uh, Trump's uh, term, first term, right? So for, for Kim Jong-un, 2021 is the review time, uh, sum up results of the five-year plan, and also for Trump, that's the end of the first term. Two and a half years from now, it may be less. Yes, yes. Uh, to fully denuclearize. That's not a long time frame. But this uh, f former member of Chosen Soren, Lee Chek, he believes that Kim Jong-un sincerely wants to denuclearize with within the next two and a half years. In the article, he said so. But I think, uh, in fact, he doesn't think so in the, his, his heart. You know, the, on the surface, this uh, former Chosen Soren member says Kim Jong-un will do it. But... As long as I talk to the other chosen sorry members, they said, you know, North Korea should have, still should have uh, nuclear weapons and at the same time boosting the economic growth. So they try to get the two goals. That, that's the, the, the Pyongyang line, the parallel line of keeping nuclear weapons and having economic growth. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but... That's their that, uh, real intention. As long as I talk to the uh, chosen sorry member. Yeah, so why do you believe that uh, Lee Chek in this uh, in this opinion piece is arguing the opposite? If he say what I said, his life is going to be in danger, you know. As a chosen chosen Sole member may target him if if he say to think. Okay, well that's very interesting. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Kosuke Takashi, and uh, keep doing your great work in curating the Japanese media section of the Foreign Media uh, Monitor. Thank you. Th thank you. Have a great day. And now to our third curator of the Foreign Media Monitor in our studio live today, Fyodor Tetitsky. Welcome, Fyodor. My pleasure. Uh, for those of our listeners who uh, don't know much about you, please introduce yourself. Who are you and how did you come to be here? Well, currently I'm working as a news analyst for NK News and I also manage Russian section of the foreign uh, media monitor. I became interested in North Korea when I was a child, re reading books by Andrei Lankov. I got my MA and PhD in South Korea and uh, since December 2017 I've been working for NK News. You have been looking at uh, Russian media about North Korea for quite a while. What are some of the um, common themes or stories that turn up regularly in Russian media about North Korea? 
There are several patterns you can really indicate. Uh, the most common thing is some news coming from uh, Russian Far East, usually related either to North Korean workers or some local officials suggesting some small projects of cooperation with North Korea or especially North Korean fishermen, like in the last uh, two or three or maybe four weeks after all these uh, storms, there have been a lot of stories about uh, dead fishermen found in Russian waters or some people uh, doing some poaching uh, which irritates Russian authorities or something like that. Yes, in fact, that's the uh, one of the stories in this week's Foreign Media Monitors about North Korean fishermen who were rescued. So these are obviously living fishermen who were rescued in uh, Primorsky Krai. Is that the name of a province, Primorsky Krai? Yes, it's Maritime Province. The Maritime, okay, so that is in English what we know as the Maritime Province. Exactly. And does that include or is that next to uh, Vladivostok? Uh, it is Vladivostok and in fact it's uh, very hot. It also includes the Russian North Korean border. Oh, okay. Very good. That's uh, good to know. Primorsky Krai. Now, you're saying that it's the storms that sometimes push these North Korean fishermen and their not-so-strong boats out of North Korean waters and into uh, the, the maritime province. Yes, or just if these people have nowhere else to hide, they just go and stay in Russia illegally for several hours. Usually it's tolerated because of uh, humanitarian reasons, obviously. What normally happens to these sailors? Are they returned to North Korea? Do they ever seek asylum? I haven't heard a single story about fishermen applying for asylum. Usually they are safely returned to North Korea by their own request. What are some other common themes and stories that uh, appear in Russian media? Another would be Russian workers, because, as you know, the ban is coming in December 2019. By that time, all the workers should be returned to North Korea. And uh, it does irritate officials, especially in the Far East, because these people are known to be hardworking and reliable. Although they do work in uh, horrible uh, conditions when it comes to safety, at least once a month you have some story of someone uh, dying somewhere in Russia. Now, I remember hearing from uh, or reading in uh, Andrei Lankov's work that uh, um, a lot of early North Korean workers who, who went to Russia uh, were in the timber industry, the logging industry. Is this still the majority, uh, where the majority of North Korean workers work? Well, this may be the case, but in the news, they usually report about people involving in some construction projects, like constructing an apartment or something like that. Because mm. timber industry is not really some places in Siberia, it's not a place where an average journalist would go. Okay, so now it's more construction sites, and so these are, you, you mentioned that sometimes North Korean workers die, and these are due to construction site accidents. Unfortunately, yes. Now, the, the, one of the stories in this week's Foreign Media Monitor is that the Russian Foreign Ministry uh, denies hiring North Koreans in violation of sanctions. Um, tell us a bit about that. Well, my understanding is uh, that uh, uh, Russia is being accused of illegally hiring North Koreans because all these workers are supposed to be returned by December 2019 and no new workers can be hired. And the position uh, Moscow officially announced is that they don't hire any new workers. All the workers which work are uh, working uh, on the contract side before the implementation of the sanctions on December 2017 and they all will be returned by the the deadline prescribed by the Security Council. I don't know who is right here and who is wrong. Is it the case that, let me understand correctly here, is the Russian foreign ministry or is the Russian government being accused of actually hiring the workers themselves or uh, is it that the Russian foreign ministry is being accused of giving visas to new North Korean workers? 
my understanding is that Russia as a state is accused of hiring these people and giving them the continuous work permits. Visas, I, uh, I don't think they can issue any new visas like uh, really secretly. Okay, and uh, we have sort of repeated stories uh, that come up from time to time where Kim Jong-un sends warm greetings to Putin and vice versa. What's the occasion of uh, this latest warm regards, warm greetings? I think that uh, this is just uh, absolutely regular exchange uh, between the two governments because uh, they congratulate each other on uh, Liberation Day in August, on September 9th day. Usually Putin say my congratulations and Kim Jong-un saying thank you, best uh, best wishes to you too, Vladimir Vladimirovich, which is completely ignored by Russian media but always published in Rodan Shinman. I've seen some speculation in media this week that uh, Kim Jong-un might actually try to meet Putin during his upcoming trip to Russia. Do you expect that'll happen? Well, if he is going to Russia, he'll probably will meet Putin because uh, the summit is sort of uh, already agreed upon and uh, most recent news say that it will happen either in Moscow or in Vladivostok. Mm, Okay. He he met uh, Lavrov, was that one or two months ago? He did. And uh, also he met Matvienko, the chairwoman of the Russian Federation Council, didn't he? That's when we agreed on the summit. Now, what are some... um some silly or crazy or outlandish stories about North Korea that sometimes appear in the Russian media that you don't usually include in your foreign media monitor? Actually, I usually try to sort of censor out most radical stories uh, which are created either by Rush, uh, fanatical pro-government media which uh, uh, says that we should uh, uh, immediately ally out, uh, ourselves with the DPRK against the corrupt West or something which comes from Ukraine because, as you know, due to the situation between two countries. Ukraine is now fanatically anti-Russian, so if you see some piece of analysis which says Russia is a sponsor of all world terrorism and the sponsor of the Korean regime with nuclear weapons, obviously you don't want to include that in FMM. So you're saying that there are sort of uh, two ends of the spectrum of these uh, radical stories that appear to be made up without any factual basis. There's both the exactly. pro-Russian uh, government uh, stories and there are radically anti-Russian government stories. Yes, and usually pro-Russian government, like people uh, who would like to, uh, Putin to be more authoritarian than he is, uh, strike a real alliance with North Korea and be in, even more in a position in the West than he actually is. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it, uh, it, it, it's both scary but also amusing to hear that there are some people who are disappointed in Putin in not being authoritarian enough that... Uh, surely something ironic in that Uh, anyway thank you very much for joining us today Fyodor Tetitsky and for your constant good work in monitoring Russian language media about North Korea thank you and don't forget to all of our listeners to check out the nkshop.org for North Korea related holiday gift ideas you can get 10% off your entire purchase by using the code nkpodcast10 that's nkpodcast10 at the checkout thank you and listen again next time (laughs) 